0: I really think that if you're not putting yourself really out there, Mm you are missing a huge opportunity to connect with people. And I think we want that more now
1: than ever before. I'm Jamie O'Kane, CPA, small business advanced tax planning and compliance extraordinaire. And this is the Abundant Beans podcast, the podcast that takes my love for learning what makes people tick while digging into the good, bad, and ugly of small business ownership. We strive to give you the insight that only those in the trenches of being and working with entrepreneurs can provide. I think most importantly is, you know, what are the biggest opportunities businesses are missing online?
0: Um, I really think that if you are not putting yourself really out there,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you are missing a huge opportunity to connect with people. And I think we want that more now than ever before. Um, the the more the brand founder has a story and that story's out there mm-hmm. the more human a brand is the more we want to do business with them and that doesn't mean that you have to show every aspect of your life online it simply means that you need to show up as a human being interacting with other real human beings you know like mm-hmm. these are real human beings they're not data points right. um, and i think treating people like real human beings and crafting an experience for them as human beings is essential. And I think if you're trying to do something different than that, you are missing a real opportunity to build relationships, not just like get transactions from people, but actually to build long lasting relationships where people will always drive back to you, no matter whether it's, you know, you've got a brick and mortar store or you're online for a period of time or whatever, when they form that relationship with the company they love, they will come back over and over again, and they will refer you to like to beyond, really. So,
1: yeah, um, it's interesting. Um, we just did a whole new website for our business. Um, or we put the website and the podcast and the firm together, and they were not yep. together before. Um, and um, trying to create a an accounting firm website that doesn't look like an accounting firm <laughs> website was, well. The bar is low, so let's yeah. start there. <laughs> yeah, um, it is with accounting firms. Yes. But there's a lot of default, right? So there's a lot of default to, you know, talking about taxes, or there's a lot of default mm-hmm. to doing, you know, in-person video instead of like um, on our website we have an animated video, um, and they were like, "But you're an accounting firm, we should do, you know, in-person." And I'm like, "No, I want to do whatever is opposite." <laughs> of what's expected, right? Um, For a purpose, but the big thing being we're not your normal accounting firm. Therefore, I don't want to look like a normal accounting firm. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's still hard to, like, how how do you help people be more, it's really about being authentic, right? And being okay with being authentic.
3: What I see over and over again is that we talk to a lot of different practices about, and the first question I always ask is, how did you, how did you come up with your pricing structure? You know, what was, what was the thoughts around this? And I probably 95% of the time it's, we don't know. We just, we got a price book somewhere or it was here when I got here and we just ran with it. Mm -hmm. And my next follow-up question is how often do you change your prices and what do you use to, to make those changes? I get kind of the same answer. It's, we look around, we call around and see what everybody else is charging on some of the shop services. And we just up them three to 4% across the board with really not a whole lot of thought or input. Mm-hmm. So I, I know that pricing, and one of the reasons that we did this is because uh, Dan had a friend who was a veterinarian that was struggling with, what do I do to set my prices? right? Mm-hmm. Uh, can you help me? Because uh, I, I, I struggle with this and I'm losing money and I don't understand why. So Based upon that, we're that's why we looked at a way that how can we do this that is makes sense, it's founded in some you know cost accounting science, so to speak, Mm -hmm. uh, that we can relate to them. But I think a lot of the owners fall into this, we don't know why, we just kind of do it, Mm -hmm. and we don't really have a handle on it. And the other big point is they don't spend enough time. This is probably the most important part of their practice financially with what they're doing. And they spend probably less than 10 to 12 hours a year, even analyzing or doing this uh, function altogether.
1: Yeah. And where do people usually go wrong on this?
0: They kitchen sink everything. They list everything. They like, we do this, we do that. We work with this, you know, like they just list the who and the what. And it just, Mm -hmm. it doesn't work because confused minds don't buy there's a horrible statistic that says 86% of buyers can't tell the difference between two suppliers. They really so can't. So
1: true. Yeah. So true.
0: They just try to base it on price, mm-hmm. and price becomes your their biggest determinant of quality. And then people are constantly trying to undercut the price to be more competitive, which works the opposite way in psychology, mm-hmm. right? You don't see a Chanel trying to undercut, um, you know, Target. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Right. So yeah, that's, that's usually what goes wrong is the, it's too generic.
1: And then the, and then those of us that are trying to di- di- differentiate, we spend a lot of time really confused about like, or like what, stop asking me for tax returns. Like that's, that's my current pain point. Cause people are just like, okay, I need my tax returns done. What's your price? I'm like, that's not what we do because they, they assume we're all in r black or whatever. I think, I think that's very true. I think a lot of us start our business thinking, oh, I'm just going to like replace my job, right? Or just going to replace whatever. And that's how we usually start out. But then we get to this point where we're like, but we want more. We don't want to just be technicians, which means yep. we have to give up stuff. Um, yeah. And that is hard. It's so hard, especially I think a lot of business owners are pretty type A and we're all pretty controlling and we want stuff done a certain way.
2: Well, we've um, gotten to a point where the type A has, you know, look, it's brought us success, right? Mm-hmm. So being the t- being the tactician and being the one who delivers everything, it's led us to here. And mm-hmm. so that's, you know, it's hard to, you know, in, in many areas of your life, both professionally and personally, you know, to give up the tools that have served you well so far. But in order to keep growing, you know, it's all this like, you know, namaste, namaste. Like that's how you have to, you know, inside out. I really am a big believer mm-hmm. in that where you have to keep growing, but it has to change.
1: Yeah. Um, I, and I don't know if, if you find this, but like when we start a business, especially under our names, yours is under your name, mine was for the longest time. We're still in the process of moving it over. People really only like a lot of our clients really kind of push back on having anybody else talk to them like they expect me to answer like every single question um and it's like we have other people here that can and you're gonna get a faster answer probably too right Yep. yep um and they know your stuff because they've been in it i can go find the answer but ask the person who does the thing don't you know constantly coming to me is not going to get you anywhere really.
2: Well, and that's also like part of what changing my job was too, is that, you know, I had to make it clear to the clients of like, look, day to day, you know, Mm -hmm. you're going to be serviced by this account lead Mm
3: -hmm. and they
2: have so many years of experience. They're in the weeds on your stuff every single day. And I, and, you know, part of what you're coming to us for is both, the tactical part of it in the day-to-day, but you're also coming for strategy. And so there's a difference in, is this a day-to-day question? You know, so it's a little bit of like training how we work, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, it's not easy because, you know, at the end of the day, if my clients want to talk to me, they're going to talk to me and I'm of course here and we'll figure it out, but yeah, you know, it just sort of is what it is.
1: Taking the time to just sit down and like write what needs to, like what goals I need to achieve every day is yeah. significantly changed. What gets done around here, um, and how I feel at the end of the day about yeah. what happened, because it's so easy to just hop into the inbox um, and deal with all the little stuff that really doesn't need a re- the, you know an immediate reply or anything yeah. like that. Like we could, I could spend all day in my inbox getting you know, client needs this, client has a question about that, you know, staff needs this, blah blah blah. If I sit down. <laughs> Yeah. And intentionally say, "This is what needs to happen today." Um, uh, we use we use the whole firm. We use a we ha- use a program called Gears that my coach teaches. Um, okay. So, it's your goals, your events for the day, your actions, when you're going to rest, um, or when you're done, and then how you're going to take care of yourself that day. Um, and it's just G E, you know, Gears all the way down. It's- figure so it right in my planner. I, the whole team has the same planner. That's awesome. um, and we all, cause it's five, it's five spaces in each day. <laughs> it works perfectly. Um, and I know if I have a ton of events, I'm not going to get a touch. I'm not going to really get any large projects done, but I I've, I've learned that by sitting down and doing this every day, um, or every work day. And it's been a game changer. Let's talk cost segregation because I really think that's probably most applicable to a lot of our clients, um, mm-hmm. you know, especially in the veterinary space. Right. Um, so, I don't know if we've ever talked about cost segregation on the podcast before. You're first. Um, so, what is cost segregation?
3: Uh, cost segregation, in its simplest term, is a change in the way a de- building, a commercial building is depreciated. Mm-hmm. Um, you're changing the way that you uh, allocate the uh, the cost of that building over a period of time, and it's doing it so it can be very tax advantageous to the building owner.
1: We're all about tax advantageous around here. That's
3: right. You
1: know um, so it takes the component. It takes like a so if you purchased a building, right. A lot of times we would just stick that into our depreciation schedules and we would depreciate over 39 years. Right.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So what a cost aggregation study does is it takes it down to its components, the building's components. So maybe HVAC, maybe flooring, maybe painting, whatever, all those things. And it gives us the ability to take those things and depreciate them faster than that. 39 years. Right.
3: That's it. That's it. The the. The, the lingo in the cost segregation industry is that certain components of the building are reclassified mm-hmm. uh, by an engineer into shorter timeframes of depreciation. So instead of 35 years, parts of the building would be reclassified into 15, 10, 7, and I think sometimes even 5-year buckets yeah. of depreciation. There are some uh, 5 buckets sometimes
1: when we're looking at those. Thank you so much for listening or watching. Be sure to subscribe on YouTube, iTunes, or wherever you prefer to listen. If you learned something and found some useful information to apply to your business today, please consider giving us a thumbs up and a review. Until next week, be abundant.